Hello, and welcome to Prism of the Past, a semi-weekly series about historical events, people, and situations from the fascinating to the forgotten. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the many scandals from the court of Louis XIV, otherwise known as the Sun King. Now, I had seen a few articles and things that said that he had an absolutely just like insane court and that things going on inside like the royal world were absolutely bonkers during his reign. So I wanted to take a look and see like what's fact versus what's fiction. But before we get there, we're going to jump in with a little bit of background on who he was. So let's get started. To begin, Louis was born on September 5th, 1638. He was born in Saint-Germain-en-Laye in France. He was the son of Louis XIII and Anne of Austria. In May, 1643, he succeeded his father. Yes, before his fifth birthday for those of you counting. And according to the laws of the kingdom, he was the master and owner of the bodies and property of 19 million subjects. He was also a neglected child given over to the care of servants. One source states, Over the course of his childhood, Louis XIV was primed as a leader, receiving a practical education rather than a scholarly one. Louis XIV's godfather, Italian-born chief minister, Cardinal Jules Mazarin, was responsible for tutoring the boy in history, politics, and the arts. Louis XIV's governor was appointed to keep watch over the lad, but incidents like young Louis XIV's near drowning indicate that the monarch was overlooked as a child, as if not a ruler in the making. In 1648, when Louis XIV was still shy of a 10-year-old, the Parliament of Paris rebelled against his chief minister. In an attempt to overthrow the crown, they waged a civil war called the Fronde against its supporters. Throughout the long war, Louis XIV suffered many hardships, including poverty and starvation. To Louis XIV's relief, Mazarin finally achieved victory over the rebels in 1653. After the civil war ended, he began to build an elaborate administration as Louis XIV stood by and observed his mentor. Louis married in 1660 to Marie-Therese of Austria. Although he had fallen in love with Mazarin's niece, he chose duty over love, and Marie was apparently a popular name at the time. One account of Louis XIV's court decisions describe her as such. Our queen was excessively ignorant, but the kindest and most virtuous woman in the world. She had a certain greatness in her manner and knew how to hold a court extremely well. She believed everything the king told her, good or bad. Her teeth were very ugly, being black and broken. It was said that this proceeded from her being in the constant habit of taking chocolate. She also frequently ate garlic. She was short and fat and her skin was very white. When she was not walking or dancing, she seemed much taller. She ate frequently and for a long time, but her food was always cut in pieces as small if they were not for a singing bird. She could not forget her country and her manners were always remarkably Spanish. She had such affection for the king that she used to watch his eyes to do whatever might be agreeable to him. If he only looked at her kindly, she was in good spirits for the rest of the day. She was very glad when the king quitted his mistresses for her and displayed so much satisfaction that it was commonly remarked. She had no objection to being joked upon this subject and upon such occasions used to laugh and wink and rub her little hands. We'll get into the scandals and affairs later on, but I found this description really detailed and kind of funny and weird at some parts. So I really just wanted you to also kind of experience this too. 
Anyway, when Mazarin died a year later, they were married in 1661, and he was able to take control over the French government and reform France to his own vision. He promoted industrial growth, improved the disorganized system of taxation, and conveniently declared members of nobility exempt from paying taxes. He was an ambassador of the arts, creating the Academy of Inscriptions and Belles Lettres in 1663, the Royal Academy of Music in 1666. Louis was also notorious for his overbearing approach to foreign policy, overbearing being a polite way of saying he invaded countries and started wars. By the end of the 1680s, Spain, England, and the Holy Roman Empire had enough of him, formed the Grand Alliance, and waged war against France for nearly a decade. This was known as the Nine Years' War, and though France still had most of its original territory by the end, their resources were drained. The war or Spanish succession from 1701 to 1714 also contributed to Louis' decline as a leader, and by 1715, Louis died in Versailles, France. His five-year-old great-grandson, Louis XV, the last male heir of his family, inherited the throne. And this is probably one of the briefest histories of King Louis XIV ever, but I just wanted to kind of go over these some more specific details uh, so we can get a sense of where Louis XIV fell into place in French history. As for what we're talking about today though, that's an entirely different story altogether. So let's get into that um, very interesting, like theories and rumors. Let's see what's real and what's not. There were a ton of affairs and rumors floating around the court of Louis XIV, one of which was that when Louis was 15 years old, his mother wanted to teach Louis how to, well, you know, create an heir. Basically, rather than give him the birds and the bees talk, she figured experience was the best teacher and she hired one of her ladies in waiting, a woman nicknamed One-Eyed Catherine for obvious reasons. She only had one ear. And I'm just kidding, I'm, I'm terrible at jokes, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that, but she had one eye, One-Eyed Catherine. Catherine was also described as being as ugly as can be. However, because Louis's mother, Anne, trusted her so much, she believed that Catherine was most suitable for the task. With the instructions of Anne, Catherine, nearly 40 years old, draped herself seductively on the king's bed one day in 1653. Rumors say she did a satisfying job and Louis continued to visit her in the following years. She was rewarded for her service to the crown with a nice sum of 2000 livres, along with the title of Baroness of Beauvais, two Parisian townhouses and her hotel, the Hotel de Beauvais, built in 1657. A few years later, the wedding parade of Louis and Marie Therese passed by that same hotel. So yeah, that's kind of, you know, how he got the birds and the bees talk. I don't blame anyone here but Anne, but it doesn't seem like Catherine was initiating anything, but kind of ordered to do this by the king's mother. For me, imagining what implications this would have in modern day is, you know, a little creepy to say the least. As for why Anne chose Catherine, a woman more than twice Louis' age, one historical consultant states, the chosen woman must lack ambitions to raise herself above her current rank. She must be discreet, she must be experienced, but not too much. She must be clean and without any diseases. She must be charming, but not to a level of being too enchanting. After all, the whole act will be quite bewitching already. Now, this is far from the only strange event that occurred within castle walls, of course. Another story says that Queen Marine had an affair and gave birth to Louise Marie, known as the Black Nun of Money. Now they do have similar names, Marie Theresa and Louise Marie Theresa, but of course that doesn't exactly prove anything. Many accounts do point to Queen Marie giving birth to a short-lived princess named Anne Marie in 1664. However, it seems like this baby wasn't actually black, but her skin was dark purple because she'd been deprived of oxygen. And as you can unfortunately piece together, the newborn died shortly afterwards. 
Still, rumors spread that the baby was hidden away in a convent. One source states, this nun, Sister Louise Marie de Saint-Therese, claimed to be the daughter of the king. Her name, chosen when she made her vows, is an amalgamation of the royal couple's names. Indeed, when the king's morganatic second wife, Madame de Mantion, arrived at the convent to disabuse her of this notion, her stinging reply became legendary. Madame, the fact that a lady of your rank has taken the trouble to come here with the express purpose of telling me that I am not the king's daughter convinces me that I am. Although no record exists of Louis XIV having a black mistress, Voltaire, the famous French enlightenment writer and historian admits, as likely the idea that the nun is Louis's illegitimate daughter. In a footnote, Voltaire stresses that he actually visited the convent himself in the company of his protector, who was at the time the Comte de Moret, and is Voltaire's most likely source of information about this dowry. Personally, I don't think it's very likely that Louise Marie was the daughter of Queen Marie and King Louis. The thing is, if she had been the product of an affair or born to the queen, then why would she claim to be the king's daughter? And if she had been the king's daughter and born to another woman, then why does legend of Queen Marie giving birth to a dark-skinned child even exist? It's certainly possible that Queen Marie gave birth to an oxygen-deprived child that appeared to have darker skin and the king had an affair, but there does seem to be quite a few holes in the story. On the other hand, one source states that Lynn Nottage, the author of the play, Las Meninas, spent eight years researching the topic about African presence in royal families. Nottage came to the conclusion that the story was true, that in 1661, the Queen had a romance with an African dwarf named Nabo, gave birth to a black baby named Louise Marie, who was then whisked away. This source also questions that although the child's birth was documented, there didn't seem to be any accounts of her death. Others say the child was born prematurely and didn't survive and born November 16, 1664. The palace claims she was purple black and Nabo disgustingly was a servant and symbol of status, which that's weird as hell. One source states, having an African dwarf was at the time very common for white women of means. They were a status symbol and someone to show off. Nabo was often dressed in lavish African costumes and covered in jewels. The king's own top mistress gave him a ruby and diamond encrusted agate to show him respect to the queen. However, the king hated Nabo. Nabo often played tricks on people at the palace and would lift up the queen's skirt and run under it, as well as yank on it to make her stop short or trip. The queen found him amusing and doted on him quite excessively, even letting him sit in her lap in front of company. Another rumor says that when the baby was born, the king was distraught and furious. The queen explained the premature baby's death away, saying that soon after she became pregnant, Nabo jumped at her from behind a piece of furniture and gave her a fright. The king sent for Nabo and he was sent away to never be seen again. The baby was sent to be breastfed by a black wet nurse. The queen was in a miserable state, explained by the palace to be in mourning for her dead daughter. And first of all, just all of this is just really a lot to take in. A lot of messed up shit was going on. So first of all, I, I get it, looking through the lens at 2021, looking at the past, certain things are going to seem really, really fucked up, but let's just address the obvious here. It's messed up that African people were treated as some sort of symbol, like a pet to royalty. I can't say I'm surprised because we've seen some pretty disturbing events throughout history, but this is definitely one of them. But secondly, as for Louise Marie calling herself the daughter of the king and queen, I think that's a stretch. To this day, no one is absolutely certain what actually happened. So it's a strange story to be sure. Yet the rumors of affairs continued, not just among Louis and Marie, but of the people on their court too. According to my source, Guy Armand was known as one of the most handsome men in Louis XIV's court. 
Better known as Armand, the Comte was bisexual and easily drew attention from both male and female partners. Armand and his sister were members of the household of Duke and Duchess de Orleans, Philippe and Henriette, the king's brother and sister-in-law. Armand and Philippe had a close relationship, though it was reportedly not a balanced one. Philippe cared deeply for his lover and friend, but Armand was more interested in chasing Philippe's power and money. Armand showed the Duke very little respect, even kicking him during a masked ball. The greatest disrespect Armand showed Philippe was sleeping with his wife, Henriette. It was at Philippe's request that Henriette and Armand began getting to know each other better, but they took things much further than intended. They kept their affair hidden, but barely. In fact, there was one incident that involved Philippe coming up the stairs to Henriette's rooms unexpectedly, at which point Armand hid behind a door while a valet tried to cover for the lovers by making a scene. In the chaos, Armand was able to slip away unseen. So Armand slept with both Philippe as well as his wife, Henriette, but Philippe didn't know much about the latter relationship. And I mean, I'm all for a husband and wife doing what they want. And you know, if that means bringing someone else into the relationship, that's cool, but all parties should probably be aware of what's going on. Otherwise it sounds really messy. And uh, it turns out it was dual infidelity with the same person. It's interesting. Gutenberg actually has an entire book online about the memoirs of the court. And I'm not gonna lie, at moments like these, it almost feels like I'm sharing some incredibly juicy gossip as opposed to a historical event. But hey, it's 400 year old gossip and it's in the book. So I don't think anyone can say it's like hurting someone now. Another source actually affirms this affair and states this. Armand was considered the handsomest man at court for quite some time, but was also known to be vain, occasionally superficial and contemptuous. A handsome man at court was almost obligated to take lovers, and so he did, both male and female. Among his mistresses, he counted the wife of Philippe, Henrietta of England, which caused quite a scandal at court, since it was thought that he later became involved with Philippe as well. Generally, Armand was quite the source of scandal at court. Once when Philippe, Duke d'Orleans, pretended not to know him at a ball, Armand retorted by kicking him in the playfully rear in front of everyone. And those were just a few of the things he was known for. Armand even courted Louise, but was smart enough to never be too passionately in love and as such managed to keep on Louis XIV's good side. After all, the king wanted his mistress to be desired by others, but expected his courtiers to know where the line lay. Like all young noblemen at this time, he was expected to serve time in the military. Consequently, he traveled to Poland where he later fought the advancing Turkish army. Later on, he would also fight the English and the Dutch. Armand even managed to get wounded in a way that was sure to win him sympathy back home when he lost two fingers in the Siege of Dunes. He made a name for himself when he swam across the River Rhine and his regiments followed suit after which they fell on the baffled enemy. Now with his glory secured, he returned to Versailles in 1669. Sadly for him, he did not get to bask long in the light of his glory because he died on the 29th of November, 1673, just 36 years old. Now, by all accounts, Armand wasn't exactly a kind man. He was sleeping with the king's own mistress and managed to get away with it though. So I feel like he must've been one hell of a charmer. Like this is a pure bard build for sure. But Armand sounds like someone I wouldn't have wanted to be close to given his values. And he just seems really narcissistic, but I would have wanted to hear his stories if that makes sense. Not that Armand was the only one lacking etiquette because apparently one of the king's own mistresses, Louise, the same one, wasn't all that well-mannered either. The story goes that in 1667, Louis was fighting in the War of Devolution and his mistress, Louise, missed him very much. At the time she was pregnant with their fourth child and she wanted to prove her devotion and love to him. Despite being told to stay behind, Louise joined the court and was traveling to meet with the king and told her driver to overtake the queen's carriage. 
The queen was so upset by this that she vomited and reportedly even Louis was upset with her actions. Apparently, when the court moved on and could see the king in the distance, she once again had her driver race past the queen's carriage. The two coaches raced hard to reach the king first with Louise as the winner. But instead of receiving an affectionate greeting from her lover, she heard him say only, what madame, before the queen, before he turned away. And again, I feel like I'm divulging some 17th century gossip right now, but I'm kind of living for it. I guess I can understand that when marriages were born into like for convenience or political reasons, alliances and whatnot, it makes sense that affairs are bound to happen. But a mistress putting herself before a queen in a caravan, I mean, yeah, I'd say that's a pretty tacky and nasty move. There were other shady or questionable characters around though, aside from these. One of them were Duc de Lazune. Now, he was in love with Anne-Marie Louise de Orleans, the Duchess. She was better known as La Grande Mademoiselle though. Mademoiselle was a cousin of Louis XIV, and although she received many marriage offers, by her 40s, she'd become an old maid of the court. Mademoiselle used to call Louis XIV her little husband. She was even exiled for a time because she took part in the front, the civil war we mentioned earlier. So yeah, she has an interesting tale behind her. Anyway, by 1670, it appeared that she was in love for the first time. His name was Antoine Nopard de Calmont, Duc de Lazune. She described the days of 1617 and 18 December, 1670 as the happiest of her life. She managed to speak to the king about her love for Lazune, and he answered that he would neither advise nor forbid the marriage. The next day, he consented to the marriage, despite the fact that the queen and his brother who wished to marry her, or rather her fortune, were against the match. Nevertheless, he changed his mind the following day with the words, king must please the public. Her three happy days were over and she shut herself in her apartments until the beginning of the next year. Lazune was arrested for no official reason and wasn't released until 1681 when Anne-Marie Louise was forced to sell two of the most profitable lands. Reportedly, they did get married eventually, but their relationship was incredibly volatile. After the death of the queen in 1683, she and Lazune parted ways indefinitely. She told him, your life would have been better if I had never seen you, but better late than never. He became angry with her, but did not leave until later that day when she told him to get out. On the 15th of March, 1693, Anne-Marie Louise fell ill with a disease or stoppage of the bladder. Lazune asked to see her, but he was refused. She died on the 5th of April, 1693. During the funeral, the urn containing her entrails exploded, causing extreme chaos. She was buried in the Basilica of St. Denis. And yeah, I don't know how an urn exactly explodes like that, but needless to say that some of the women in the court were pretty unusual. So let's take a step back. Do you remember Henriette, the wife of Philippe, the king's younger brother? Well, we're going to take a bit of a closer look at her because Henriette had some interesting things going on in her life as well. Now, as for the love life between Henriette, the Duchess of D'Orleans and Philippe, the king's brother was in complete and total shambles. I mean, let alone whatever the hell was going on with Armand, Henriette was seemingly very close with Louis XIV and rumors flew that they were sleeping together, fueled by their private rendezvous. Some sites speculate that her husband, Philippe preferred men, seeing as he had many affairs with men such as Armand and his true love was with Chevalier de Lorraine, who he had met during their service in the War of Devolution. Honestly, if Philippe was bisexual or homosexual, that's absolutely fine. And I'm not saying he was, but I'm saying it was fine if he was. But seriously, like at least these two could have like not flaunted their affairs everywhere, right? For a time, it was even suspected that Philippe or de Lorraine played a role in her death as well, as many believed that Henriette was poisoned. One source says, 
Henriette, Duchess d'Orleans, the sister-in-law of Louis XIV, took a drink of her usual chicory water and immediately clutched her side, crying out in pain. Pale and in obvious distress, she was put to bed, but her pains were so severe that she believed she must have been poisoned and asked for an antidote. As her husband, Philippe, rushed to her bedside, Henriette chided him. Alas, Monsieur, it is a long time since you loved me, but this is unjust. Alerted, Henriette's lady-in-waiting watched the Duke closely, but he showed no indication of guilt and every sign that he was distressed by his wife's condition. Henriette's physicians diagnosed colic and assured her that she would soon recover, but it was clear that she was dying. Her confessor, however, urged her to accuse no one, but to make her death an offering to God. Henriette answered with a shrug. She did not know. In the early hours of the 30th of June, she died. She was 26. At a mass for her soul, Bishop Bosset conveyed a sense of shock at her sudden death. O disastrous night, O dreadful night, in which resounded like the clap of thunder, the unbelievable words, Madame is dying, Madame is dead. Now, of course, people still speculated that Henriette died by poisoning, being as young as she was. However, today we can most likely chalk this up to perforated ulcers. The source also says that Henriette may have been suffering from anorexia as she was extremely thin and even described as bones as sometimes. So that most certainly could also have been terrible for her health. And obviously we can't know that for sure. And I'm not trying to diagnose her as she was also known to have some stomach issues. I'm just saying that she was truly that thin and she was in a lot of pain and had a lot of stomach issues it may have been a contributing factor in some way. But at the same time, other sources point to how her husband's suitors and lovers had been openly hostile towards her, especially Chevalier. When Henriette suspected she'd been poisoned for some time by him, her stomach problems began in 1667, a year after he joined the household, and Henriette began drinking large quantities of milk, a common antidote to acidic poisons in circulation. Then again, if he saw her drinking all this milk and knew that she was suspicious of him, then why poison her? In addition to all the affairs and rumors going around, there were also real documented crimes happening during Louis XIV's rules. One was embezzlement. One man named Nicolas Fouquet was named the superintendent of finance in 1653. He made himself extremely wealthy and it's not that he was also a poor man to begin with. After Mazarin's death, Jean-Baptiste Colbert, Mazarin's personal intendant and closest confidant, sought to succeed Fouquet as finance minister by destroying his reputation with the king. Colbert revealed irregularities in Fouquet's accounts and denounced the financial operations by which he had enriched himself. Fouquet was arrested in September, 1661, and his trial, which lasted three years, excited great public interest. Colbert suppressed the papers that would have proved Mazarin's personal responsibility for many of the financial transactions and questions, but Fouquet defended himself cleverly and public opinion turned in his favor. On December 20th, 1664, he was commended to banishment, but Louis XIV commuted the sentence to life imprisonment. Fouquet was taken to the fortress of Pignerol, where he died before a measure of clemency could be issued. As scandalous as this may have been, it was only the start, just a blip in that timeline. Years later, a much larger event known as the Affair of the Poisons took place. It began in 1677 when Magdalene de la Grange was arrested and charged with poisoning her lover. De la Grange sold potions, poisons, lotions, told horoscopes and cast spells. She supposedly told prosecutors she had valuable information about other crimes committed by prominent people. And this information was relayed to the king who ordered Gabrielle de la Reine, chief of Paris police to investigate further. Other sources say it was 1678 when the Parisian police received a tip warning of a conspiracy to poison King Louis XIV. Either way, in the late 70s, they were investigating and police became convinced that there was a ring of poisoners operating in Paris, leading to accusations of witchcraft and murder. 
This affair of the poisons is now known as one of the largest witch hunts in modern history. One source states, over just five years from 1677 to 1682, 319 subpoenas were issued, 194 individuals arrested and 36 executed. In total, it claimed between two to three times many as lives as the Salem witch crowds across the Atlantic. 10 years later, it began with what appeared to be an isolated case, but then door after door after door opened, eventually implicating rich and poor alike. Even though Louis' court was described as a brothel by some, and no wonder considering what we've gone over, it seems like witchcraft was one sin that they could not forgive as opposed to infidelity. One woman, Catherine, also known as Lavoisin, was apprehended outside her parish church on March 12, 1679. She was a divineress, a cross between a fortune teller and an amateur apothecary. She would help anyone that had a toothache or a lost treasure. She sold arsenic as poison, poisoned posies and love potions. She may sound a bit shady, but at the time, these alternative means were sometimes the only option for women. Women were seen as secondary to men and would go to Lavoisin so they could abort an unwanted pregnancy or poison an abusive husband. I'm not saying it's fine to kill someone, but I guess like I get it for the time being. Now, her list of clients troubled a lot of people since her confessions seemed to implicate those close to the king, including one of the king's former lovers whose husband had recently and mysteriously died. 11 months after her arrest, Lavoisin was burned alive. It is said that in her interrogations, she stated, Paris is full of this kind of thing and there is an infinite number of people engaged in this evil trade. Of the 36 sentenced to death in this witch hunt, most were decapitated, hanged, strangled, broken on the wheel or burnt alive. Now, as for Louis' reign after this, there's still plenty that we could discuss, but there's just one more thing of note I'd like to go over. It's rumored that in 1683, when Marie died, Louis XIV secretly remarried a woman known as Marquise de Mantion, according to one source. Her first marriage was to a poet named Paul Scarin, and she became a widow at a very young age. She worked in Versailles as a nanny to the illegitimate children of the palace. As she became closer and closer with the king, he supposedly fell in love with her, but she was religious. She did not feel comfortable living with Louis XIV out of wedlock. Although there is no concrete proof of the wedding, historians and authors like Aurora van Gogh insist that evidence found in memoirs prove the king quietly married her. There were a few mistresses and it was all kept as quiet as possible due to her lower status. And the marriage didn't give her a title or a right to the monarchy, but they were still supposedly married. I did dig into this one a little bit and it does seem that many believe they were in fact married in secret and Louis would visit her every day in her apartments overlooking the royal palace's courtyard. It's difficult to determine exactly how much influence or power she had over Louis, but it's said that she persuaded him to found St. Cyr, a school for girls. Unfortunately, this was later converted into a military academy by Napoleon and then later bombed in World War II. So I guess it unfortunately didn't really last. Now, all in all, I know there's a lot more to King Louis XIV's reign and a lot of it is even horrific. And I'm sure that today was just some of the more laughable elements of the court and something that I kept kind of seeing and just wanted to explore a little bit more. So I thought this was kind of an interesting thing to look at and I hope you did too. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you're liking, following and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all of the latest episodes. Thank you so much for making it to another episode of Prism of the Past. I appreciate you being here and I will see you in the next one. Bye.